If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Build Business Acumen Podcast, where we deliver practical knowledge and powerful guidance. Here is your futuristic host, Nathaniel Skula. So today I'm going to introduce you to Raji Rickett. She is the founder of something called Helping America Now. HAN is a non-profit organization created by Raji Rickett to address some of the needs of homeless veterans and mentally disabled adults. She has successfully turned four decades of business experience into a legacy for helping others. And we talk a lot about homelessness and, you know, the difficulties that people face. This is a great episode and, you know, it's part of my mission in life to actually raise awareness around these really important topics and to help people. So I hope you enjoy this episode and yeah, let's get stuck into the show. Oh, and do ignore the bird. Raji's got a bird and it makes a little bit of noise. So it's not my usual uh, my usual background noise, but hey, <laughs> it's a good episode anyway. So thanks for tuning in. And today I'm joined by Raji from across the pond. You're over in San Francisco, right? Los Angeles. Los Angeles, yeah. And you're involved with a charity that you're very passionate about and you've, you've been fortunate enough to work hard enough to get yourself to the point where you can, you can do that. And I'm really looking forward to sort of hearing more about you, your businesses and, and the charity. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you start really. How, how did you get to the position of being able to launch a charity in the first place? Yeah, well, it was many years of evolution Nate, 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 Nathan, Nathaniel. I've heard you called all of them. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, the way that I sort of ended up in the driver's seat of starting this nonprofit was I spent many years working in healthcare. I worked on the business side of healthcare. And again, that's an industry that helps people, serves people. And it was very important to me to be able to make a difference. I think we all have that desire and passion to leave a legacy. We never quite know what that is until maybe further along in our lives. But it was important to me. So from healthcare, while I was in that industry, I also was transitioning into real estate and building a very successful real estate portfolio and renting homes and flipping homes and just everything that goes along with that, that we see that's become very popular in television and print these days. And as I continued on that journey and sort of had the opportunity to enter another chapter of life where I was too young to retire, but too old to, you know, put my hat on a shelf and just sit and watch the birds, which is kind of funny because I do have several birds that I (laughs) sit and watch in my living room. That's a whole nother conversation. Um, I was thinking about some of the people that I had met along this journey of helping with housing and 
just some of the practical needs and the issues that they were encountering where uh, an elderly man was homeless for various reasons. A young man in his 30s was homeless. Uh, people who had mental illness and disabilities where they had fallen through the cracks of not being properly diagnosed. And through these various conversations, I saw that there was an opportunity to serve a very specific group of people. And we know that there's a lot of conversations in the news about homeless veterans or mental illness and mental disabilities. And it's very complex as we were having the earlier, you know, banter back and forth about some of the individuals and the profiles that present you do have people that are on drugs who actually would prefer to be homeless than have the accountability or sober living environment. You have people who are not stable on medications, who maybe they can't afford medications or they don't have familial support or medical support. And so through this various, uh, these various dialogues and working with agencies and case managers, I thought, I see an opportunity to create a nonprofit which I decided to name Helping America Now because my focus is U.S.-based veterans as well as uh, mentally disabled adults. And that ties into a very personal story, which I'll share with you in a moment. But while I was exploring this, and I thought it also gives me a way to self-fund things because I've never been one to ask for help. It's just a difficult thing for me. So I thought, well, I've been successful enough, so I'm going to start to self-fund some of this. But then when the needs start to get greater than the uh, resources that are available, I thought, you know, I've got to start making this known to other people because there are people that want to get involved and they want to help. They just don't know what to do or maybe they haven't found the organization that resonates with them. So this was sort of the backdrop to what took place. And then in the course of working with a couple of these individuals and helping them and seeing one woman through being in a stable housing environment, getting on proper medication, she's mentally uh, disabled and had mental illness, she lost 40 pounds and reversed diabetes. And then another gentleman, an older gentleman who had chronic digestive issues, he had been homeless in his 80s, living in the desert, if you can imagine that harsh environment. Wow. And came into a, that, you know, he was uh, placed at a housing vendor. Within nine months, his chronic indigestion and, uh, you know, dig digestive issues disappeared, reversed, and he was able to stabilize. And he actually transitioned into a permanent independent housing situation where he lives on his own in a senior living environment and has all the uh, different support services in place now. And he was a veteran. So it, it just sort of broke my heart to see people suffering and to know that if there's something I can do to make a difference, even if it's just in a handful of people for now, you know, then we're going to make that difference. So, of course, then seeing those successful outcomes just fueled my passion even more. And so now I'm just trying to get the word out about helping America now. I think that's great. That's absolutely brilliant. It's 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 lovely to hear that you're sort of doing something and and your infrastructure also is not actually funded by donations because like that's the that's the biggest you know issue that a lot of people have with charities is like they don't I mean I was interviewing a gentleman a few weeks ago and he's big into charities and he he was basically saying that you know a lot of charities they I mean, they're businesses, aren't they? I mean, that's that's generally how they're looked they're looked upon like a business. And mm -hmm. yes, they get preferential rates and they get assistance 
you know, from from the government. I mean, certainly in the UK, there's a there's a you know, you get money back if you're a charity and, and taxpayers come and buy your goods. There's some sort of a, a, a money back thing that they get from the government. If you register your details, they can claim back, I believe, the VAT on on on, on all the money that you've actually spent there. But it's still an infrastructure that has to be paid for. You know, there are shops that need to be paid for. There are all sorts of things. But what you're doing is you're actually funding all of all of the infrastructure yourself in order to help these people, right? Is that is that, that fair? That's absolutely correct. Yes, and I would never turn down a donation. I have received donations, and we do those in the form of scholarships that can go either specifically to certain individuals and their needs, or it can go to the general fund. But at the end of the day, 100% of the money goes towards the people that need it the most. Wow, that's, that's, that's amazing. It must feel really, really good to actually be part of that and to have created it, you know? Yeah, it's extremely satisfying. I love it. It's great. So yeah. how many people are you, are you kind of helping at any one time? Yeah, well, at this current time, I have uh, four people. And previously, we helped about six other people. And so it's just, it's been small and it's been slow, but it's been impactful. So, right. you know, that famous story about the kid who's throwing the starfish into the ocean and someone says to him, you know, well, look at there's thousands of starfish here on the seashore. You know, how is that going to make a difference? And then the person responded, well, it made a difference to that one. So that's my approach right now. You know, maybe one day I'll have the tens of millions of dollars to pour into, you know, a magnitude of people and, and organizations and, and just sort of supplement what other people are doing. But right now I just focus on one or two or three people at a time. I do work with case managers. So if people come in off the street and they need assistance, then I always do it with the, you know, they are accountable to someone, they're working with someone. So we can make sure that it's not just a matter of throwing harder money to the wind, but people are genuinely getting the help. And then also it's important uh, to have, have the strength-based conversations and ultimately empower them to be independent and quote unquote normal, whatever normal is, right? <laughs> yeah. Normal is a relative term, but you know, to be able to assimilate into society, to, to have their own place, whether it's home ownership or renting or even a room, you know, whatever it is that keeps them safe, um, to have meaningful relationships, whether that's restoring them to family members or finding them new friends. So it, it just becomes a very uh, multifaceted, multidimensional approach. But in, at the end of the day, it's what we all want, right? To belong, to be safe, to have our basic physical needs met. Yeah. Yeah, so I have a, yeah, I have a really big um, affinity, you know, for that. Um, I mean, over here in Chichester, where I'm at in the UK, there's a there are a, local, a lot of local churches who've kind of got together, and yeah. and they've actually partnered with with the government and the city council, you know, with the city council really, and and another charity that's here, and they're doing quite a lot. They're doing quite a lot around here. They sort of help help a number of people to get off the streets but like you say it's a it's a it's a difficult it's a difficult call and i think having a caseworker is is definitely the way to go because someone needs to be there to support them yes. 
because yes. it's pointless just giving someone money. It does, yes. It's not going to. It's not going to help the problem because the problem exists in the behaviour. I mean, Correct. they might come out of. From what I gather, you know, they might come out of the army or whatever and just not know how to make a living. I mean, that right. that could be. You know, that could be. You know, or not particularly like the job that they're going to go into, or you know, they might. Yeah, like you say, have sort of mental health kind of problems. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I think a lot can happen. There are so many people in the U S that want to help. I mean, I, I speaking to a chap probably on, probably on LinkedIn a few months ago, maybe six months ago. And he's, he's, he's helped a lot of people to get off the streets. It might be a good introduction for you actually. Because I think the more people that, that can get involved, yes. and actually raise the awareness of this, the better. And I yes. might, I might introduce you to the people from greater change as well, because this QR code thing, I believe is a, is a, is a really good idea. I think that, you know, what it is for anyone listening is it's, it's a QR code that fits around your neck on a, on a lanyard and then people can scan their mobile phones and, and pay on a monthly basis to that individual to help them to go to school or university or, you know, whatever it may be, but they have a caseworker, you know, you can find out more about them. You know, it's quite, it's quite an exciting sort of, sort of project really. And I think that could fit in quite well to what you're doing. Absolutely. To your point, I love this uh, product that you're describing because it eliminates the things that where you genuinely want to help somebody but you are reluctant because you wonder, is the money really going to where you're hoping it will go, which is food, clothing, shelter, or is it being used on drugs or alcohol or, you know, whatever uh, thing that somebody could be dependent on. And then, you know, there's also the hustlers that are out there doing it professionally, you know, making themselves look very tattered and torn. And then at the end of the day, taking off their dirty clothes, getting into a Mercedes and driving off. Yeah. You know, which we know that is very real. We've seen some of the, the articles and, and um, investigative reporting. So we want to make sure, and I love that QR, uh, what did you call it? QR, QR code. code. Yeah, just QR one code. of those, it's just one of those codes, really, with the white and black, you know, that you see on like a barcode. cards. Yeah, a bit like uh-huh. a barcode, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, but I think that, you know, what's what's important is actually is actually understanding more about these people and you know are they going to be permanently needing looking after or are they or are they able to work and are they able to providing they're given a helping hand actually get into something that they enjoy i mean over the next few years i mean i i'm big into like what's going on with ai and machine learning and this kind of stuff mm-hmm. and and yeah. and the problem is is that people are not encouraged to learn more and and stay up to date with the latest technology trends and this kind of stuff. So, in the next few years, there are going to be a lot of people who are just lost because they've they've lost the skills that they need to. I mean, they might go into prison for an example and not and not actually learn enough about technology. So when they come out, you know, a computer now it's completely different to how it yeah. was when they went in and, yes. and, and how you can make money using a computer. So they need someone to say, look, you can either go and get a laboring job and do some physical labor, right? Which mm-hmm. for the older people is not going to be any good. I mean, I know a chap around here who's got a bad knee and he's, he's going to have to have surgery. So he's going to be off for a year, mm-hmm. but his mindset is, 
very suited to someone that could build computer programs or mm-hmm. build chatbots or, you know, do something in the technology world, which in essence is going to keep him, you know, make him happy so he can make a, build a business because, right. but not everyone wants to build a business. So us entrepreneurs, right. we can't push people to build a business right. if they don't want to build one. Right. Yes, you're absolutely right. And I think it's important that when we are working with people, we identify those types of things and qualify the ones really identifying what people want, right? Because someone who's in their 30s may want something different from, you know, they have their whole life ahead of them versus someone who's in their golden years and they just want to relax a little bit and, and take what they can to be comfortable and, you know, maybe make a contribution here and there. Uh, with volunteering, but it's not going to be the same drive and passion necessarily because I, yeah. there's every time you use an example, there's always someone that's going to break that mold, right? Of course. <laughs> I know an 85 year old who's already starting a new business and he's been on me to wow. help him with that. So, you know, I, and I have to hand it to him that he would still have that vim and vigor to really reinvent himself and start something new, even at that age. Wow, that's amazing! I'm going to tell my dad that he's 85. There I've been trying to get him to do. I've been trying to get him to do some tai chi with me. He did do some for a little while, and then he just sort of went to stay with his girlfriend. Came back, and I was like, "So how?" He was there for a month. I was like, "So, Dad, have you been practicing?" Oh no, not really. It was cold, and it's just like it's like. But he had vigor when he went away, and he came back, and he was just like. Ugh. You know, yeah, <laughs> waiting to die. <laughs> well, I hope not. I don't think he is, to be honest. Okay. He's, he's, he went to MIT, so he's, he's hugely uh, oh, going on. He's very, yeah. very interesting. But, but I think that there are so many things that people can do. Yes. That, that it's sort of like, where, where do they start with, with helping people? And then at what point do you, do you sort of stop helping them? I mean, it's like there needs to be a continual process which it's like if if you get so if you're going from here to there you're going from a to b at that point you know when you're halfway along you're still heading towards b but you might need just a conversation with someone to keep you on that path which i think is missing in society altogether because we 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 just on our mobile phones we don't you know we, we don't talk to people anymore and the more I see yeah. of it, the more it becomes acceptable. I mean, my dad went to, went to dinner with his, with his lady friend um, and her, I think her grandkids. And they sat there and the kids were on their phones and she's on her phone and he's sitting there. He's like, I haven't got a phone. He doesn't want, he doesn't want, he doesn't want to waste his time on a phone. Yeah. Right. right. And we need to become more accountable for what we do. So for example, Big tech companies like Facebook, et cetera, et cetera, when they, when they actually replace humans with robots, which is, which is what's happening in a lot, of, a lot of industries, there needs to be a robot tax, right? And, and there needs to be an ethical process which helps people. So if, for example, a business is going to make someone redundant, they need to turn around and say, well, okay, we're going to help you. We're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're making you redundant, yeah. We're going to get rid of you because you don't have the skills to keep up with our business. However, we know that your personality is this 
And we know that with a little bit of help, we can help you to do this. And then that, I mean, that needs to happen. Well, yes, I totally agree, Nat. And wouldn't you agree that the compassion is the element in that? That so many businesses are profit-driven, which there's nothing wrong with making a profit. But I think it's important to embody the philosophy of win-win. Because if everybody wins, then there is that aspect of we're now replacing this person. So let's find a way that we can assist them and provide them with something that gives them continuity versus just discarding them after we've implemented this new procedure and we no longer need them, right? Yeah. I think the major issue is that lack of preparation and, and lack of, lack of um, how do I put this? It is. It's lack of preparation by employers and also by people who who they need to give some thought to the major the major problem is lack of preparation by people and by employers. Yeah. And and it's almost ingrained in society that, you know, when we get a job, when we finish university and then we get a job. That, that we are somehow going to be okay for the next 20 or 30 years in that job. But those days have gone and people need to wake up to the fact that they need to upskill and they need to continually be learning. Every day they need to be learning something new. Absolutely, Nat. I completely agree with you. In fact, you know, if we're not reinventing ourselves just about every other month because of the technology, because of the new business models, because of just the influx of information that comes our way, right? So I, I completely agree. And I think that we can be more thoughtful and strategic in how, and when I say we, I mean people like you and me, because we're doing it at a grassroots level, but also organizations, governments, communities, faith-based organizations, the churches, right, working together. And I think there could be this tremendous synergy, yeah, movement and synergy if we can all work together to complement what one another is doing versus working in silos. And that's why I think the work that you're doing is so important because you're a voice and you're bringing so many people into the conversation, really getting them to think because we're not trying to make decisions for people, right? Who you're going to support as a charity is a very yeah. intensely personal yeah. decision, right? And we're all passionate about different things. But I think on a global scale, there's so many more things that unite us and just you providing a forum for people like me and others to be heard and to share that message with others. And if something resonates, they now have a place that they can say, you know, I want to get behind that and I want to see what's going on and I want to get the newsletter and I, you know, and, and and here's $10 and, and I'll make $10 seem like it's a hundred dollars because yeah. of my resourcefulness. Right. So It gives people something they can listen to and they can, and they can understand yes. about what's going on. I'm big into like the homelessness problem. I'm big into that because I've seen it. It's yeah. been around, you know, it's around in a lot of places and a lot of people just ignore it, but I'm big into that. I, you know, I, that's something that, I, I sort of, I don't know. I think a lot of people are just desensitized. And I think, and I think, I think that they are hiding away from what's really happening in the, in the major issues in the world. And, and there is a lot of poverty. There, there are a lot of problems, but what's going on right now in, in, in the computer industry, certainly within the IBM 
space that I understand a bit, bit about, they, they are pioneering a lot of technology which is going to help with supply chains. And what's going to happen in the next few years, perhaps this year, is the cost of food is going to, is going to well, the, not the cost, but the, the wastage is going to go down, right? And actually for the smart people who are buying right, the price is going to go down. Yeah, because supply chains are becoming more effective. And, you know, uh, not only that, the, the, the nutrition of, of food is actually, is actually going easily able, they're easily able to monitor it better so that they can, they can actually give those foods and vegetables and everything the vitamins and minerals that they need at just the right time or the pesticides so that or even the water so they're not wasting water they're not wasting ingredient you know they're not wasting mm -hmm. fertilizer and this and that so that so that we can actually mm -hmm. eat better food and that in itself will be cheaper or it should be cheaper i mean if you look the, the price of food hasn't changed really that much if you if you if you sort of look at it sure price of more expensive foods but over in england if you if you if you're very careful you can go to lidl or aldi and the sort of cheaper supermarkets and eat very very well actually but but i think there are just major issues with compassion itself in society and it's almost like people just sort of hide they hide away and and ignore the problem and it's almost like well they ignore it because they don't want to feel the pain they don't want to take responsibility for, mm -hmm. for, for what's going on, mm -hmm. you know? Um, I mean, and, and they don't know what to say to people. And if they're not in a position to help someone, they don't understand that perhaps that person just needs someone to go and have a, and say hello to them. You know, I mean, I spoke to, spoke to this mm -hmm. chap who raised awareness for homelessness by he's done all sorts of things the past three years. He, 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 um, he went on a 14th, century medieval pilgrimage to Canterbury and he walked in a monk's outfit and to raise well to start with it was because so in the space of six weeks let me start at the beginning he 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 basically mm -hmm. got made redundant so he lost his job he his girlfriend left him his dad got uh, his dad died and he got leukemia all in the space of six weeks. Yeah, it's horrendous. So what he did was he, he, they sold their house. So he wrote a letter to the Pope and the Archbishop of Canterbury. And he said, well, um, can I sleep in a church along the way? Because this is in the winter time. If I get cold, can I sleep in a church in, along the way? So six weeks later, he got a reply from the Pope and he got one back. No, he got one back from the Archbishop six weeks later. And then a week later or two from the Pope, and they said, sure. So he, he went on this trip this, in this monk's outfit and he didn't pay for anything along the way. I mean, people gave him food, beer in the pubs because he went to all the medieval pubs and he told them why he was doing it and everything. And it was like that back in the day, you were right what we were saying before we started recording that back then the churches would take responsibility and they would help people in in society right. and, and and unfortunately with yeah. with the destruction of 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 that 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 comes at a price so someone either the churches or a charity 
or the government, but someone has to take responsibility. And, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to raise awareness for it. That's, that's all I'm doing. You know, it's part of my, it's part of my sort of ethos. Yeah. It doesn't pay my bills, but it helps me in, in my soul, you know? Yeah. Which is just as important. But, you know, when you talk about that, it reminds me of the educational component to all of this, because as people want to do something, then it's people like you who are creating this platform, right? For different voices to be heard. And there's one thing that you mentioned that really struck me and I wanted to allude to it, but I had been reading the book, uh, one of the books of Dr. Caroline Leaf. And Dr. Leaf talks about the neuroplasticity of the brain and something called epigenetics, EPI genetics. And in these two things, it's, they describe, and, and I'll give it to you in its simplest form, I'm not an expert on the topic of this, but my takeaway was, number one, the brain can change. We can actually physically change the brain, which is the neuroplasticity part, and that is through education and learning and growing and really exercising our muscle. The second you either use it or lose it, right? So we're going to use our brains and then the second part of that, the epigenetics, is reprogramming, literally reprogramming our DNA through thought processes. So whereas there has been the conversation of, well, people are born a certain way and you know their father was an alcoholic and, and so this runs in the family. Well, yes, maybe through their cell composition and DNA, they are predisposed to certain things, but at the end of the day, their brain still has the power to say, am I going to accept this label or am I going to change from this point on throughout all of history? Everything is changing now. And when we make those decisions with resolve and we determine things are going to be different for us and we take those steps of faith to say, I don't know how it's all going to work out, but I'm just going to keep moving forward and this is what I'm resolving to do. And daily reminding ourselves, maybe by the minute, if we're having a really bad day in the description of this gentleman you were you know talking about in six weeks his whole world came apart but he had to make a decision at some point that he was going to do some soul searching he was going to take a completely different journey and in doing that and taking that step of faith and getting out of the boat so to speak all his needs were met he I'm assuming he found peace he he found fulfillment and it was a very eye-opening experience for him so it's the same way with the people, you know, that we're reaching out to, that I'm reaching out to through the organization as well, that, you know, there's an educational component. Okay, so you've been defined as mentally ill your entire life, but in this moment, if you can be mindful of the things that you're thankful for, you're changing the chemistry and the physical composition, composition, excuse me, you know, of your thought processes in your brain. Do you want to be responsible for that or do you want to continue just you know, whichever the way the wind blows is the way that you go. So, but with that comes personal responsibility and that in and of itself takes courage, right? Because sometimes it's easier to just sort of lay back and and let things go as they may and then we're victims and then we find ourselves in situations and maybe they get worse, maybe they get better, but we're always sort of in a state of flex. And now I'm saying through the empowerment and the message and the, the help will give you the help, but you also have an opportunity to find yourself, and this is how you can do it. Take the red pill or the blue pill. <laughs> I, I can't argue with any of that. I think I think the moment that we that we realise that we're actually 
in control yes is yes. the empowerment moment that you're talking about isn't it and and i think we're all we're all victims until we get to that point of realizing that we are responsible for where we've ended up and we don't like it we might not like the fact that we've ended up where we are we might be you know we might be suffering in some shape or form but the moment we make that decision to do something we can do it you know and but i think it's also making sure that the people around us encourage us the right way and and actually just making sure that you just don't hang out with people who you don't want to be like because you know I mean, they, I don't know who said it, but so many people say it, but you know, you become like the people you hang out with. And I, I really, I'm very, very careful with the people I hang out with to the point of just only really spending time with people that I want to spend time with people who actually genuinely have my best interest at heart. I think that's, that's important to, to be a judge of character. But if you, but if you can't judge character, you need you need some assistance from someone who can help you at that point. I mean, I, I've been very lucky to have mentors over the last sort of eight years who've, who've, who've helped me a lot. And without those mentors, I wouldn't be sitting here with you now interviewing you on my podcast. I don't know what I'd be doing, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't be that. So I think it's really goes back to finding someone who has done what you've done and got to where you want to get to mm-hmm. is, is, is the best advice that I've heard from, from people. Or you find a handful of people who've excelled in particular mm-hmm. fields and, and, you, and you just hang out with them. I mean, that's, that's what I've done. And, and you know, I'm, we're all on a journey. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm trying to get somewhere like everyone else, but I'm trying to enjoy my journey. And that's the, I think that's the major problem is that, in society, we're all obsessed with getting somewhere. And it's like, well, where are we actually getting to? Like, we can all we can all aspire to build the next PayPal or build the next app mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, lifestyle business or whatever it is. But the thing is, we can just get lost in 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 doing that and stressed along the way, and then that can actually derail us. So so the, 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 the sort of goal of, oh, I'm going to build the next PayPal or WhatsApp or whatever and sell it for billions and become a billionaire, to most people, they're not willing to do that. They're not willing to, take, to put the work in to do that. And that goes the same for lifestyle businesses. They're not willing to start a lifestyle business. They just want to go home after nine yes. to five and, and work, right? from nine to five Monday through Friday. But the, but the point is, is that I don't think you can actually do that anymore. I, I really don't think you can do that anymore. I think that from, from, from my own knowledge of just seeing what's going on out there, we are becoming, there are more and more freelancers out there. Apparently like 20% of employment is going to be freelancers. The gig economy is what people call it in the next, I think it's mm-hmm. the next five years is what they're saying. 20% of, people so so then if you if you step back a bit and you look down on the earth right and you say well Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how is that going to affect me i find it fascinating i mean been doing a lot of lot of of interviews recently with people who 
interviewed a CEO of an insurance company who was, he was sleeping in his car when he started the business, pretty much. He was 19 years old when he started it. He's like 47 now. He became a multimillionaire when he was 26. Uh, no, oh. 20, I think, I think it was, yeah, I think it was 26, actually. And super interesting guy. But what the, my point is, he was actually saying that, why don't you just step back a little bit and think about if you, if you lived on a planet and there was nothing on that planet, okay, what would you put on it? Would you, would you have a car or would you walk everywhere? Would you have a big five bedroom house or would you have a one bedroom? Would you plant vegetables in your garden? Or would you have chickens? Or would you have a high-powered job and have whatever, employees? So it's kind of like a lot of the time it is going back to that. And the problem with, with people when they're in that position is that they cannot see that themselves. They can't imagine it themselves mm -hmm. because they're so stressed with their current situation mm -hmm. that they are pulling their hair out. Well, and I think to your point, Nate, that it's very liberating. If you have the vision, you don't always have to figure out what the end is going to look like. You just have to know that this is what is fueling me to take one step in front of the other in front of the other. And how I'm going to get there is not for me to figure out. So that there's freedom in that, right? And then the other thing about surrounding yourself with people who can take yep. you to a higher place. You make wonderful contributions to the lives of so many, so you want to make sure you surround yourself with people who are also like-minded in that way. And because it can go either way, right? Like you said, that, that, that old saying, birds of a feather flock together. So you want to be around the people that inspire you, that bring out the creativity in you. Um, you know, there's people that sometimes you clash with, but then there's that old saying about iron sharpens iron. So sometimes in those clashes and conflict, we grow even more than if we had just simply been coasting through life, right? And then you've, we've heard the metaphors of the baby chick that bites its way out of its shell or the butterfly that, you know, comes out of the cocoon and if you assist it, it will actually die. So we need that resistance to grow and learn and be our best self. So, um, but, but at, to your, you know, the conversation that we were having and you were expressing about the importance of just having the resolve, the determination, because that is an important component to changing anything, right? First that decision and then let the rest take care of itself. Yeah, I agree. I think determination's massive. I mean, you 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 must have had to be so determined yes. to to sort of get where you've got to. Have you got any have you got any insights for for people who are in a bad place and they want to they want to get somewhere else? Yes, I absolutely do. You know, uh in the last 5 years, I went through a very difficult and traumatic time of transition where a series of things occurred and it just felt so unfair. And so uh, I felt really derailed in life, disappointed, disillusioned. And it took me about a year to get my bearings again. And part of that was just when I'd lay in bed to wake up that morning and say, thank you for this day. Thank you that I have breath, you know, creating an attitude of gratitude and just doing one thing. So maybe I'd get out of bed, make myself a cup of tea or, you know, in Indian culture, chai, the spiced tea. So I'd make myself a cup of chai and I'd sit and play with my bird. And, you know, that brought me joy. That gave me peace in the moment. And that's how I 
took care of myself. And then the next day, maybe I'd add one more thing. And then the next day, one more thing. But it did take a year. And I was willing to give myself that space and time, somehow believing that once I got through this journey, that maybe other people would be helped. And indeed it was. As soon as I turned the corner and my joy came back and, you know, my, my vibrant desire to live a full life and just all the things where I wasn't feeling sorry for myself, despite the unfair things that had taken place, it gave me that focus. And then I was able to turn around and share that message of hope with other people and say, you know, you might not be feeling Right now, you might be down in the dumps. This happened, and yes, that was terribly unfair, and you had no control over it. But in this moment, we all still have a choice. And I even remember speaking to a professional therapist about this, and when she said, I still had a choice in how I was going to respond, it really made me angry. And I said, but don't you understand? You know, this happened, and that happened, and this was also unfair. And she said, yes, it was unfair, but you still have a choice. <laughs> and I didn't want to have that sense of personal responsibility. But after she said it a couple of times, very loving and very supportive, but just a gentle reminder that I am the captain of my ship to some degree, right? I mean, I don't have to figure yeah. out where my ship is going. I mean, I, I figured out where my ship was going. I had determined that part, but I didn't know how it was going to get there, which island I might stop at or, you know, completely get caught up in a storm, but I had no control over the gale winds that are shredding my sails. And yet I still chose to have my peace and I was going to do what I could, a hot cup of tea that just made my soul rejoice or playing with my little bird, you know, and just looking at the wonder of nature and God's creation. So I think that's where that personal responsibility comes in. With with the determination and all this sort of stuff, I think I think you've got to have that. But we've only really been through these problems so that we can actually help other people is what I think. If we can't share our story and help other people with what we've overcome, then our suffering was for naught. Yeah. Yeah. But would you would you say that that suffering has built determination or would you say that determination was there anyway in my personal case i'm a very determined person so probably i was born with that um and and it's been it's interesting because i came from a very interesting background in family dynamic and uh did you ever see the movie little miss sunshine and and kind of like how it, well, it's a story where this little girl just wants to be in this beauty pageant and her family, as nutty as they are and, and sort of all over the map, but they all come together to support her. And that was sort of my experience. You yeah. know, I, I, there was a lot of interesting and unhealthy dynamics going on in my home. But if I would have told people I wanted to be president, everybody would have rallied around me and said, you go for it. Go be president. So it, it gave me this sense of confidence and determination where I felt fearless to do anything. But I realize that's also part of my uh, personality and, and disposition. Not everybody is like that, right? Yeah. But in being given that sort of temperament and disposition, if there was an obstacle to overcome, I would be the one to overcome it. So I just would not let anything rob me of what I felt like my destiny should be. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. I resonate with that completely actually and sometimes we start out writing one chapter a certain way and then a something else comes along that changes that story and there's been plenty of times where i've looked at my life and said you know this is a movie i just don't want to be in how do i get out of it 
and sometimes I'd get out of it and sometimes I wouldn't. <laughs> I had to just ride the thing out till the end. But even with that, you know, I've grown so much as a person and I'd like to think that I love more deeply, you know, I forgive more easily, um, that the, the pieces of the fragments, you know, have been used in a way that really can help others. And, you know, when I, when it's my turn to leave this earth, I can say, you know, I left the legacy and I did something that was beyond me. I think if our vision is too small, then we're going to accomplish it in our lifetime. But then it's too small. So it needs to be something that's so big that when we leave, it continues. Yeah, you've got a really good attitude. And I think that's, that it's really nice to hear that you're doing something for people, you know. That, I mean, I think I was talking to a gentleman the other day with a, with a, with a distillery and two distilleries, actually. And, and, and what he said was that he's got a business, but the byproduct of the business is to help, is to actually help people. And I think what I like about what you're doing is, is that, is that a hundred percent of the money goes to the people. And I think that is that, you know, that is really, really important. And the more charities that can do that, the better. I mean, obviously, you know, this QR code I was talking about, obviously they have costs that they need to pay for payments, payments and stuff like this. So, you know, that's always going to be a cost to business because you've got to right. pay for security infrastructure and this, but yeah, I'm quite excited about the future. I think that with, with the new technologies out there with blockchain, which is in essence, the backbone of Bitcoin mm-hmm. and cryptocurrencies, you know, people who never had a bank account mm-hmm. are going to be able to have money or some sort of equivalent. So that in itself is going to, is going to help change a billion people out of yep. out of uh, poverty. Yeah. So we've got we've got some interesting years ahead of us, and I think we keep up the momentum and the awareness around it. It's going to be uh, going to be very exciting. Yes, I totally agree with you, Nate. Well, it's been a real joy, but I'm going to have to go because I've got to go and do some do some tweeting. It's a long story. <laughs> <laughs> I don't tweet while I'm while I'm while I'm talking to people. I think it's quite rude, personally. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> well, thank you, Raji. So, how do people um, do people support your charity if they want to help you? Yes, they can visit our website, which is www.helpingamericanow.org, and then they can shoot us an email through the website. There's button. There's a button they can just donate directly. There's different scholarships if they want to look at the scholarships and identify something that they specifically want to contribute towards. And we would just welcome the, the help, whether it's financial, whether people want to stay in touch with their newsletter, uh, with our newsletter, or if they just want to partner with us and, and they find us there in, maybe in the local community and they want to join forces. So um, I welcome everyone and everyone. Lovely. Well, I might introduce you to someone on LinkedIn. If we're not connected, then we need to get connected on there. Okay. And and I'll uh, I'll introduce you to to someone, uh, two people actually, if I can find them. Oh. I'll track them down and uh, and introduce you. It should be really good actually for what you're doing. Someone quite local to you who's really good at raising money. 
Love that. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate this opportunity. I'm honored that you took the time to speak with me and learn more about what I'm doing. And uh, I think that the conversation's going to continue. I just sort of have that sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. I'll, I'll let you know when it's edited. And thanks so much. Oh, thanks, mate. Thanks so much for listening. Please subscribe and wherever you prefer, share with your friends. And if you enjoyed the show, drop us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.